The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hi, I'm Bill's defensive end Greg Russo, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills! Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Joined by uh, Anthony Prohaska of the Disguise Coverage podcast on Cover One uh, Podcast Network. You can find his all his work on YouTube and anywhere where you listen to podcasts. So we mentioned uh, new players. You you brought up a, a ton of really good options right there between draft picks and Daquan Jones. Um, what about players poised to take a jump in 2022? I mean, we mentioned Tremaine Edmonds getting that really good defensive line in front of him, including Von Miller. Uh, there are players out there that could, if, if, the, if they get the opportunity um, to really take a step in 2022, like there could be Super Bowl implications just by their elevated play. Um, are there any players like I'm not talking new players? I'm talking veterans at this point. Mm-hmm. Players that have been on the Bills at least one year. Who do you see that could be ready to take a jump in 2022? That and if they do, if they can make that, like it just transforms that position, that position group, that whole side of the ball, or even the team in general. One is Tremaine Edmonds. Um, he's not my number one choice, but you mentioned him, so I'll lead with him. Just if Tremaine Edmonds can be the prince that was promised and kind of get closer to that ceiling, it does so much for this defense. Just with, again, what is asked of him and the role that he plays, if they can lighten his load and allow him to just read and react and be a tremendous athlete and take advantage of his size and speed and ranginess, like, good Lord, what it unlocks for the rest of this defense. And again, I think he's better than people give him credit for, but he definitely has not reached that ceiling that he could potentially reach. So if you start to get, you know, if you start to get production from him where he's like your third or fourth best player on your defense, 
that's amazing because that means the only reason he's third or fourth is because Tredavious White is there and Von Miller is there and you've got all pro safeties and you've also got Matt Milano. Like if he's playing at a high level with the rest of that defense, you've really got something cooking on your hands. The big one for me is gonna is gonna be on that defensive side of the ball. It's Ed Oliver. I think we do see a jump from Ed Oliver this year. I already think last year he was I think a lot of people look at the raw stats and just see like, well, he didn't have a ton of sacks and a ton of tackles, so he must not have like done good. He was a consistent force in the run game, in the pass game. And again, like I mentioned, of the top 50 players in pass rush win rate, he had the fifth highest double team rate, and he was getting double team left and right. Now you have the addition of Von Miller. Von Miller's going to see those double teams. Ed Oliver should see more one-on-one opportunities on the inside, and as much as edge rushers are like the sexy pass rush option, the best option for pass rush is right up the gut at the quarterback's face. So, which is part of the reason why Aaron Donald is such a force because he's getting pressure right at the quarterback, right up the gut. If Ed Oliver can function in that role and take advantage of these one-on-one opportunities, which he started to last year and can this year, if he's getting one-on-one, his burst, his get off, his ability to understand leverage, his hand technique, his violence at the point of attack. He took a lot of leaps in his game last year. And when you add in another offseason under his belt to better himself, and you add in the supporting cast of a Von Miller and all the other signings and potential jumps from the young guys, um, he's, you know, you, you led with part of the question of like Super Bowl implications. If Ed Oliver is consistently getting pressure up the gut on teams, that makes everything on this entire defense easier. If you've got a pass rushing presence on the interior that is consistent and that is a force that teams, again, because how do you account for that? If you've got Von Miller on the edge and you've got Ed Oliver providing a pass rush on the inside, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Or what do you have to start to do? You have to start to make sure you keep a tight end in or keep a running back in. And that means there's one less person out there to run a route, which means you have better math and coverage because you have less players to cover, which helps any secondary, let alone a secondary filled with all pro safeties and a potentially returning all pro corner and a linebacker like Jermaine Edmonds, who's the size of a pterodactyl and Matt Milano, who's one of the best cover linebackers in the NFL. And just in case anybody's listening is like, yeah, but Matt Milano can't cover Travis Kelsey. No one can cover Travis Kelsey. That's why he's so good. And he created tight end you and people go and attend it with him and George Kittle because he can't be covered. I hate when people are like, well, if he's so good, how come he can't cover Travis Kelsey? Show me the linebacker that covered Travis Kelsey and don't tell me Tampa Bay because they played man coverage with safeties over the top because all they had to do was rush four in the Super Bowl because Kansas City had their backup but to the backup, to the backup, to the backup offensive lineman in that game. And that game's a one-off in a sample size. But I digress. Yeah, you if Ed Oliver's eating and Von Miller's eating – it makes the coverage world a lot easier and in a multitude of ways. And that's why I think it has huge Super Bowl implications. And I do expect a jump from Ed Oliver this year. I already think he showed it last year, but I think you see more of it this year. You see more splash plays. And I think you see more raw stats. Like I think you see him get more like six, seven, eight types of sacks. You see more tackles for loss and you see plays where he's constantly flashing on your screen and you're noticing him because he's going to get more one-on-one opportunities. I'm really excited about that. And I'm glad you mentioned so far, several different narratives that have happened over social media. And, you know, I'm yeah. sure you see it in the comment section on your yeah, YouTube I hate page. Them. <laughs> the one about Tremaine Edmonds not being good. Um, when you said he has so much to deal with on a daily basis, you talked about that when you talked about um, Matt Milano not being able to 
cover Travis Kelsey, which I've obviously heard too. Um, and what, you you lead me to this to this question, which I didn't plan on asking. I mean, what there's got to be at least a couple of other ones that you see, maybe not recently, but like over the last year or so, where you're just like, that's not right. Like, because you watch the film, mm-hmm. you know what the capabilities of these guys are to watch in real time. Doesn't really do it justice. You hear so-and-so like, like one of the things that like I get, cause I watch real time is like Jerry Hughes was, meh, he was okay. Like, I'm sure you would defend that. I I don't, I don't get me wrong. I don't not like Jerry Hughes. I think he was obviously our best, one of our best pass rushers last season. Mm -hmm. He's been for a long time, but uh, until you had a guy like Mario Williams across from him, you just never unlocked his Mm -hmm. potential, um, which is, you know, goes into what you're saying about at Von Miller and at Oliver, hopefully, uh, you know, what other narratives do you see out there that you're just like, that's not right. And it makes me angry when you say that, just like the Matt Milano um, example you just gave me. You know, you mentioned several of them. The Tremaine Edmonds is, uh, Tremaine Edmonds one is obviously the biggest. And again, it's, it's always the extremes. Like I'll be like, no, he actually wasn't that bad. And everybody's like, oh, you love him. I'm like, no, I don't. Like you're just blaming him for things that aren't his fault. And I get, but again, it's, it's tied to those expectations. People saw his size and his age and where he was drafted and he was drafted by Sean McDermott and so many Bills fans were like, oh my God, we just got Luke Keekley. And then he wasn't Luke Keekley and everybody's like, he sucks. And it's just like, no, like don't do that. So Tran Edmonds one is a big one. The Jerry Hughes one is also big. He, his pass rush productivity and his pressures relative to how many pass rush snaps he got, he was much more effective. But people are like, oh, we only had like four sacks or three sacks. He sucks. And it's just like, no, like I... I put a so many, I put so many on Twitter, like of him getting to the quarterback in under two seconds, but a receiver gets open and it, it happens multiple times in the Titans game. Jerry Hughes comes screaming around the right tackle, but Tannehill's like, oh, and he just checks it down real quick and Jerry Hughes doesn't get there. Like Hughes was more productive against the run and the pass than people want to give him credit for. Yes, he didn't get home as much as we would we would have liked him to, but that's also kind of with the Bills defensive line as a whole. They got a lot of pressure um, up front and they were like top 12 in sacks. And when you take a look at advanced metrics, they were even better. That's one. One that recently has really gotten me, um, I like Jameson Crowder. Uh, a lot as a replacement for Cole Beasley. I don't like the notion that everybody says that he can easily replace Cole Beasley. Also where they go with Isaiah McKenzie can easily replace Cole Beasley. They are not, this isn't a knock against any of them. Jameson Crowder, Jameson Crowder is similar to Beasley than McKenzie is. Neither of them are Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley was a tremendous route runner with a tremendous understanding of leverage and space. He was still good against man coverage. He has a sharpness and a suddenness to his routes that Crowder, that neither Crowder nor McKenzie have. And I keep hearing like, yo, you know, like McKenzie did great against the, you know, the Patriots in that game and the Bills are holding him back. There's a reason he did so well in that game. The New England Patriots were playing a lot of man coverage and a lot of single high safety looks. And when they were doing that, they were matching up Miles Bryant on Isaiah McKenzie, and he is not as fast as Isaiah McKenzie. And there was nothing fancy or, or or sexy from a mental standpoint. The Bills were literally just like, oh, this guy's way too slow to cover our guy. Just keep running across the field as fast as you can, and Josh is going to find you. That's all they did. Very similarly, I mentioned this last night in my episode, to what the Bills did on Halloween against the Miami Dolphins, where they realized at halftime, hey, Nick Needham is covering Cole Beasley one-on-one. He can't cover Cole Beasley one-on-one, and all they did in the second half was spam throws to Cole Beasley in a variety of ways, and he finished with over 100 yards because they identified the weakness and went with the matchup. 
I just keep seeing a lot of, and I think it's recency bias, you know, how things ended with Cole Beasley and vaccination stuff. And then he's gone. And now you've got new guys and people want to feel good about the new guys. And it's like, we don't need him. We got these guys. Neither of them are Cole Beasley. And another piece related to that narrative, I, I, Jameson Crowder is better at, you know, run after the catch than Cole Beasley is. But a narrative that's kind of getting pushed around is that he's like worlds ahead of Cole Beasley from a yards after catch perspective. And if you look at their career yards after catch per reception, Jamison Crowder's average is 5.3 for his career. Cole Beasley's is 4.6. So you have a 0.7 difference, which again, almost a full yard, but not to the level of people thinking that the difference is going to be like Debo Samuel to someone else. Like Crowder is not that much ahead of Cole Beasley. He is in, in a run after catch regard, but not to the level that it's being made out to be like, he's some far superior athlete. And he offers something vastly different. I just, I don't like narratives like that because I think one, I think it does a disservice to the player who you're downplaying, but also you, you lay unfair expectations upon these other players. Like Jamison Crowder is not Cole Beasley. He's his own individual player, but in a good way. Like he's a good player, but he doesn't do the same things Cole Beasley does. He's closer to doing them than what Isaiah McKenzie does. But again, if you think McKenzie's going to step in and do what Beasley did, you're doing a disservice to Beasley. You're also doing a disservice to McKenzie because they're not the same type of player. And that's when you start to set yourself up for bad feelings and emotions because when that player doesn't hit that bar that you've arbitrarily set, then you start to look down upon them and blame them for not hitting this arbitrary bar that you created that they were never meant to hit in the first place. That's one that's really been gaining a lot of steam lately. Um, it's just, yeah, Crowder... And McKenzie, either one of them are both easy, you know, replacements for Beasley. Cole Beasley was an all pro two years ago and went healthy last year was still electric. And yeah, I, I, I think some of the expectations are getting wild for some people and, you know, downplaying several of the guys who uh, are on this team or no longer on this team. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that that had happened with Cole. I mean, it was his own doing as far as trying to use a topic and make it so divisive yeah. publicly. But yeah, he, created the same, he did. He did. But it's unfortunate that people lost their affinity for him that they had before that came up because when he left, I think it should have been sadder than it was because of how good he was and how much he helped Josh Allen. You know, you think about guys, even John Brown to a smaller extent, like guys that helped Josh Allen become who Josh Allen is. Mm. Like I kind of consider them kind of like his training wheels. Like they help Mm. him get there. Even like Brian Dable, like always have an affinity for him for helping Josh Allen get to where he is today. And had it not been for that issue, which was a very, de- it still is a very divisive issue. Yeah, big time. Um, <laughs> you know, people love them, but then a lot of people don't because of it. So, yeah. um, I agree with you. It's it's unfortunate. So I'm glad I'm glad you could help clear up that narrative as well because I agree with you on, on that as well. Um, let's talk about sleepers. A couple more mm-hmm. questions for you. Sleepers that could potentially surprise players that like. I mean, we always think about like the free agents that came in this year. You think about the rookies that came in this season. Um, you forget about a lot of players out there. And uh, and I, I don't want to go over too many names because I know you mentioned them on a recent podcast, so I don't want to get ahead of you. But okay. like, who are some like potential guys that, you know, you, you forget are on the team, either they were, you know, on the practice squad last season or um, they just were injured or whatever that like they could have a chance to make the 53 this year that like people aren't talking about whatsoever that, uh, that, that I think, you know, that, that have that ability to make the roster in uh, at the end of training camp. I'm going to start with one that is, I think he falls into the category of sleeper just because he, what he could be is, 
higher than what people's expectation of it is of him right now. I'm very interested to see what Aaron Cromer can do with Cody Ford, someone who has been completely written off. And this is not me saying like, Cody Ford is going to be sick. I don't want anybody like taking that uh, they out of context. I am a firm, huge believer in Coach Aaron Cromer. My favorite off-season acquisition, this off-season aside from Von Miller, was Aaron Cromer. He immediately, just by bringing him in, he elevates the floor and the ceiling of everyone on this offensive line. And if anyone, you know, there's there's very few coaches from an offensive line perspective that I would really trust Um to get the most out of someone, Chrome, it's it's Cromer who's up there. Um, you know, Bill Callahan and uh, Mike Munchak, and the Bills have one of them in Cromer. So if anybody can get the potential out of Cody Ford that people thought he had coming out of the draft and coming out when the Bills traded up and got him in the second round, and everybody was like, "Wow, that's great value." This was a first round talent. I'm interested to see what he can bring. We haven't heard anything about him this off season. There is no noise, positive. Or negative, you're not hearing any chatter. And I'm very interested to see what he could be because he's another guy who just, he's never realized that potential, whether it's just because of execution or because of the injuries that he suffered. And now he's got this kind of, you know, offensive line whisperer in his corner and Coach Cromer. If anybody can get some stuff out of him, I think it would be Coach Cromer. Um, Zach Moss is one as well. I went back and in watching, you know, a bunch of 20, um, 2021 tape, Zach Moss was better than I thought he was. Like I, I remember last year, just him being ineffective down the stretch and how much they went to Singletary and how much I wanted Matt Breida in the offense because of his speed. And then I went back and watched Moss function. And again, he wasn't great, but he was better than I thought. And then, you know, you have that quote from Brandon Bean, um, this off season talking about Zach Moss. And he said, um, you know, I think Zach Moss is going to come back this year and be good. He was coming off ankle surgery from after the 2020 first round playoff victory over the Colts. And he couldn't cut off his left side as well in 2021, which I thought was pretty enlightening. Like Moss looked like mid-year, like he hit a wall and he just did not look like the guy he was in his rookie year. And I think with the, you know, what Devin Singletary did to end the year, and then you bring in James Cook, I feel like everybody, and then even bringing in Duke Johnson, I feel like everybody's completely written off um, Zach Moss, but he offers an element to this offense that none of the other running backs do. That power ability, that wear you down, thudder, like thumping type of running back who also, he's actually pretty good in the pass game himself and his pass protection was good up until, you know, several bad games last year. He's somebody that I think everybody is just, and I get it, like rightfully so to a degree with the year Singletary had and then you draft James Cook. Um, I think he's up there for sleepers just because he's somebody who can still have a role based on his skill set and based on what Brandon Bean said, maybe he comes in and, you know, sets training camp on fire and has a great year. Um, then if we're looking on the defensive side of the ball, I think you are looking towards one of the corners for me at least. And again, he, he he's played a lot, but I think again, he's being overlooked. Dane Jackson. I think he's somebody who, for me, Tredavious White is not playing in week one. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play until like October-ish, maybe even November-ish, which again, I'm fine with. I want a healthy Tredavious White for December and January. I don't really care about him in September and October. I'd like him back as soon as possible, but it's the playoff run that we need him for. Again, knock on wood. But with how the coaching staff continues to talk about Dane Jackson and even the year he had last year, like he's limited athletically, 
but he's a tremendous tackler. He's physical. He's a very good heady football player. He's very good in zone. He understands how to leverage space. He's better in man coverage than, than he should be given his athletic and physical limitations. But he's somebody who I think a lot of fans see the drafting of Kyer Elam and think, okay, like it's going to be Elam and Tredavious White this whole year. Boom, boom. I think it's going to be Dane Jackson and Kyer Elam to start the year. And then even when Tredavious White comes back, I think you see more of a, of a, of a platoon at that other corner between Dane Jackson and Kyer Elam. And they rotate or they play matchups and they play different games. Um, Dane Jackson has the buy-in of this coaching staff and he's played better than people realize. He falls into that sleeper category for me because again, you know, literally, like I think people are sleeping on him because the talk is, well, Tredavious White and then Kyer Elam, boom, there you go. But Dane Jackson's a good football player and he's a very good like depth corner. If he's your third corner, you're sitting there in good shape. Um, but he's going to have to be relied upon early this year. And combined with that and how much the coaching staff loves him, I think you'll see more of him this year than people are kind of expecting. And I think he'll flourish in that rotational role where he's not stressed as a full number two or number one corner, depending on how you're looking at it. So last question. Um, I appreciate all the time um, I've taken from you this evening. Oh, I'm having a great time. This is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. At least, you, at least you you act as if you're having a great time. So that's all that matters. I'm lying. Yeah, I'm lying. <laughs> I hate it. I'm super upset. I can't wait to get the hell. Just, out. just lip service. That's all I care about. I don't care if you're truthful or not. No, no. I definitely appreciate it. So, um, potential trade bait for the Buffalo Bills. You mentioned Zach Moss. I think Zach Moss could be a potential trade bait option. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of other. Um, People, you know, folks out there, like you think about last year when the Bills traded to Daryl Johnson to the, the Panthers, mm-hmm. you're not talking about like a huge splash, uh, you know, trade, but, but a guy who has, you know, maybe starter backup level capability that could go to a team that loses a player through injury or just realize they don't have enough depth. Um, are there players that you've thought of that might be able to fill that role that, that Brandon B could, you know, as long as the whole roster as a whole stays healthy, that they could potentially, well, you know, maybe they don't need him this season. They could trade him. I think you're, that one's tough. And I, cause I, you have to look at a combination of like, like you said, like p- teams need to have use for the player that's being traded. And then you also need to look at like, okay, like what does the contract look like? And what does the dead cap look like? And then you also have to have depth at that position. Like, cause why are you trading him? If you're the bills, you know, what's going on with that. And I think Zach Moss, you know, you hit one right on the head. That's somebody who fits into that category because even if you do trade him, okay, you're looking at Devin Singletary, James Cook, and then maybe Duke Johnson, it adds an element to your team and then boom, you're good to go. So you can afford to trade Zach Moss, especially if you still think, you know, he, he's not far removed from having a very good final year at Utah, having a good rookie year. And then if you're really believing like, well, he had a bad 2021, but he had that ankle injury, yada, yada. He, I think, definitely could be in that trade bait um, category. I also think Dark Horse for a trade bait candidate. I don't see it happening, but I wouldn't be completely floored. Maybe if AJ Epinesa gets traded potentially, um, but given the questions of depth at that edge position and what the Bills don't have from a pass rush perspective, I don't see it necessarily happening. But with that, with bringing back Shaq Lawson, You've got Von Miller. Shaq Lawson is very good against the run. He has a limited pass rush upside, but he's similar in that Greg Rousseau mold of a run-stopping, physical, edge-setting guy, although Rousseau still has you know a much higher ceiling for pass rush productivity. We haven't even seen him scratch the surface of that. But I think Shaq has you know a path to this team, and he offers a known quantity. If Epinesa isn't hitting 
you know, where they need him to. Maybe there's a team who still wants to kick the tires on him and everybody's always looking for pass rush. Um, he's more of a, you know, deeper, dark horse type trade bait guy. Um, but he, I think, could be up for consideration. I also think if you look at the wide receiver group, maybe do you trade a Jay Kumaro because Aaron Rodgers loves him and wants his wide receiver back in Green Bay? Or maybe it's more of a Marcus Stevenson because somebody really wants that speed element and they believe in it a little bit more. I think that receiver grouping with how many additions the Bills have had and you've got redundancy in terms of having Crowder and McKenzie and Shakir and Tavon Austin and Marquez Stevenson a little bit. And they've all got some special teams value and all some slot value, but they're all seems so many. And granted, you know, it's probably just camp bodies and competition and taking some flyers on guys, but who knows, maybe somebody likes, you know, somebody there and the bills have plenty of depth and they're like, okay, we'll trade one of these guys for a seventh or a sixth um, in that regard. And then maybe potentially if you're looking into the cornerback grouping Maybe somebody flashes and they feel like they can trade a Cam Lewis, who is somewhat of a known commodity, or you know Nick McLeod got grabbed off waivers last year. Maybe there's some sh- some shot or chance where somebody likes his length and his speed um, and wants to offer a late round flyer for him. Those are more, I think, the odds of probability of those happening are much lower. I um uh, the ones that we mentioned in the beginning, I think, from a realistic perspective, I think Zach Moss is the top of the chart. He's the most realistic potential trade candidate given his age, his contract, what year he's coming off of, what shape that he's in, and the position um, that he plays. And there's some others, like I mentioned, that are possible, but the most realistic for me would be Moss. Gotcha, gotcha. I appreciate what you said earlier, by the way, about A.J. Epinesa, even though maybe he's a dark horse trade bait candidate, but uh, him not really getting a really good shake at it when you know it's COVID and everything like that people yeah. kind of forget I mean we all do I mean I me as human be it's human beings we kind of forget you know all these other factors that come into we're just like why aren't you good now you know it's <laughs> it's it's unfortunately it's a very why aren't you hitting your potential <laughs> yeah and uh, you forget all the things that they have to overcome while doing that my yeah. it, that doesn't even include like the change from the the college to the pro level yeah not only from you mentioned putting on and adding weight, you know, changing playbooks, you know, learning things, learning how just in general, how the NFL works, it's a different system. It's not college. No, it's so hard. You have to, you have to adjust to life as an NFL player on and off the field, what it's like to live with that amount of money and that amount of status and going to practice every day and preparing like kind of on your own. And then in addition to being in the structure and then going to practice every day and how to study film and how to learn and then putting all of that practice and preparation into execution against the best people at this game in the world who are better than probably anybody you've come up against your entire football playing career from the time you were small up in AJ Epinesa's case all the way through Iowa. Now you're playing a bona fide professional, you know, you're playing against bona fide professional football players, every single rep in practice, in games, all of it. Like for anyone, that's hard. That's why add in the fact of like the NFL draft, it's, it's a crapshoot. As much as people try to make a science out of it, it's a very much an inexact science. And that's always been drilled in my brain ever since the first draft I really remember was the Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf draft when I was little. And I just remember everybody saying like, who's going to go first? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they're both going to be amazing. And Peyton Manning went first and it was like, oh my God, but it doesn't matter because the Chargers get Leaf and he's going to be great. And Ryan Leaf fell off of a cliff and he's turned his life around since then. So big time kudos to him. But there's no such thing as a sure bet 
in the first round or any round of any draft. No, there is no 100% hit rate for any team or any position or anything. You don't know what you're going to get out of guys. And a lot of that is because adjusting to the NFL game and life in the NFL on and off the field, it's very hard for everyone, even the best of prospects. It's very hard. And again, in AJ Epinesa's case, you've got all that. And then you add in, you can only have virtual meetings and you can't meet in person and you can't really practice and you can't get near anyone and you can't touch anyone and you can't do anything. And then also we want you to lose a whole bunch of weight and we want you to change everything about yourself all the way down to the scheme and technique. Like you're used to being more of a bull rusher and an inside outside guy who would use power and physicality. Now we want you to use your hands and your speed and technique and get around the edge and get up field and use agility and pass rush plan and technique and moves and all these things that you really haven't done before. And you're trying to do that while you're losing weight and adjusting to life in the NFL, and you can't touch anybody because there's a pandemic and a disease going around and all this stuff. It's hard. Like, it's a lot. And again, to your point, I feel like I don't want to make it sound like he should get a pass and nobody should say anything negative because that's not the truth. But I think a lot of people just say, like, we hasn't done anything. Like, he should be gone. And they, they discount what he's had to overcome to get where he is. He's another one who, he was a breakout candidate for me last year. And then after I saw what he did in the preseason, I thought of it even more and how good of a training camp he had. He's another potential breakout guy. It's just because we're talking about him. I I just really like what I've seen from his hand technique and his, and his overall like burst and tenacity he's shown. I think he could be someone again, now he gets another normal off season in his belt. He's changed his diet and his workout regimen in the off season and kind of reshaped himself even further. You add in the effect of Von Miller. He's somebody who I think could make a big jump. And, but again, to the trade bait conversation, if he's flashing again, big time in training camp, maybe somebody sees him and thinks he can pop and they offer a draft pick and the bills are like, cool. We'll ride with Von Rousseau, Shaq and Boogie and you know, AJ can go. Yeah. Well, this has been. Such a great time talking with you, Anthony. I appreciate all your time that you've taken. Um, like I mentioned before, it, it was it, it, it was ad, as advertised, at least in my head, as advertised, because I had wanted to talk to you for some time, um, been following you for a long time, um, as you started to get on with Cover One, and as your career has succeeded in power, or Cover One uh, on, on the podcast and on the YouTube channel, um, you guys are doing great things over there, as always. Um, where can they find all of your work on, you know, for your podcast and, and your YouTube channel? Where can they find, you know, your social media handles, TikTok, everything that you do? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. I am the host of Disguise Coverage live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on YouTube. And then once I'm done with the live stream, that gets uploaded to all the podcasting apps and platforms. I am also one of the three co-hosts of the Cover One Film Room live every Tuesday at 7 p.m., where we take a look at game tape. In the off-season, it's more like individual scouting pieces and holistic things. But in-season, you'll find us every Tuesday going over game film from the previous game and breaking down you know, one side of the ball or certain aspects in the game that really decided the game or certain matchups or players um, and giving you guys really the breakdown of the X's and O's and the how's and why's behind you know, what, what you're seeing on the field and why it's happening. Um, and that's me pretty much in a nutshell. And you can find me here anytime that you want to have me back. I, uh, I was super pumped when you reached out and I had a great time and, you know, we were kind of just chatting offline and, you know, I kind of dug your vibe from the beginning and then just being here live and recording. Uh, I had a really great time. So anytime you want me back, you got me. Yeah, well, definitely. I will absolutely have to have you back on again. Again, this is the 
the film buff, the true detective, the salary capologist, the the Charlie, the looking for Pepe Sylvia in the mailroom guy. This is uh, you know Anthony from Cover One, disguise coverage, every single thing that he does, uh, truly, truly spectacular, truly amazing. Um, so glad to have you on, and uh, yeah, thanks again. No, thanks for having me, man. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>